Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 149, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am content creator and co-host, Tazzy. She's back. We missed her. She's back from an undisclosed location in <laughs> somewhere in the world, and she's back with us. So welcome back. Um, it was on a secret mission. Very top secret uh top secret study mission you went to discover <laughs> the sun she brought it back to the uk so you can thank tessie for that you're welcome <laughs> um, and as ever we are bringing you interesting discussions with diverse voices and to help us out as we go on a campaign playing some dungeons and dragons is a twitch streamer and session zero sorceress billy tricks billy welcome and did i get your titles right you absolutely okay. nailed it. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, yeah, Welcome, I'm ready sorceress. to roll the dice, as it were, on today's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So Billy was last on our Story Club deep dive that we did for Stray, which is an amazing game. If you haven't played that, play it. It's great. You get to be a cat. What more do I need to say? Also with us is game designer James Wallace. James, welcome back to the show. Hello. It's good to be here. Yeah, and uh, I spoke to James early in this year, so there's a whole uh, interview that we did about James's background as a game designer. So uh, James is a walking encyclopedia of tabletop game knowledge. I know I've seen it. I've seen the book being opened <laughs> and all the information uh, come out. So yeah, both been on before, bringing them together. So got lots of tabletop knowledge here in this episode uh so you can subscribe to story x story wherever you get your podcast from uh, you can always send us your feedback and questions to studio 77 at myamada.com you can also throw them at us on social media we are at myamada on the platform formerly known as twitter i'm gonna have to update my notes to say x although actually i'm not gonna do that no no resist <laughs> Okay, that's that staying Twitter. Cool, the people have spoken. We are at My Matter TV on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on all the above. And coming soon, we are working on our new Studio 77 membership. A lot of things we're working on in the background. This is a new platform that will give you access to our video content, so all the stuff that we're doing on Twitch after it disappears from Twitch, manga content, and uh, special access to events. And we've got a lot of events planned now and in future you can join our discord today to be part of the my matter universe and meet others in the community and we'll have more updates in the coming months as those plans come together so before we get to today's story discussions let's update you with the latest from the my matter universe and one of those things that we are hard at work at in the background is some new manga so we are inching closer to this uh, Kickstarter. So we've got the manga, we've got the the assets are being pulled together. We're going to put a preview page up for the origin story about Tazzy's character in the My Matter universe, which we are calling, calling against all the odds, against all odds. There we go. I should have known that pretty yeah. quickly because I am making it. Anyway, let's uh, move on from that. Um, so it's going to be a story about how Tazzy's character got to the My Matter universe and hopefully have some relatable themes and experiences uh, in there, particularly for people who have chosen a, a creator path or freelance path even in life. So 
look out for that. We're going to be putting some of the artwork in our Discord, so in the member area there. So check that out if you have a chance if you're in there. We have the latest event, well, events, the plural, there's multiple things going on with the Do I Look Like a Game Up video game representation campaign. So we started this last year to promote diversity and inclusion in the video games industry. It's now a yearly initiative, so we're building on the work we did last year and continuing the push for diversity in games, culture, and industry. It's been an interesting journey. It's been a like very well received, and then that's kind of prompted us to make it a yearly thing. And just some of the conversations we've had, very positive. Some of the, hopefully the impact um, as well has been good. We started the campaign as we're going to do each year with a new snapshot of 40 players and makers aimed to showcase the representation that does exist today and hopefully inspire future generations of diverse talent. A new schedule of events as well. So, so far we have done a tabletop game design jam. We have done a careers roundtable. That was our most recent as we record this and our cupcake and gamepad social. We've also been to other events. So we showcased the campaign at the London Comic-Con also showcased their campaign at Develop. Well, I spoke at Develop and Tazzy was there too, at least for the first day. So we did that as well. And yeah, we're going to be at other places. So we're going to be in Arc Club Harrow, which is the Harrow branch of the co-working space that we did the family game design jam in. So for that one, we were in Homerton. This one, we're going to be in Harrow. And the difference is we're going to be using game engines to build uh, levels and stuff like that. So the same emphasis on working together. So definitely encourage family, friends to come work together, find out a bit more about game design. Uh, so that's going to be on October the 21st. Then later that month, we're going to have uh, another showing at the London Comic-Con, October 29th, 27th to 29th, where we'll be bringing the campaign to that event showcasing the photos of the 40, doing some tournaments, a panel on stage as well. And we're also going to have a chance to win tickets to the event. So definitely stay tuned on our socials and we have more information on that over September in particular. Um, and in general, just stay tuned to the website, looklikeagamer.com. Uh, also, a thank you to Rocksteady Studios for sponsoring because that allows us to put on events for free and uh, just make sure that people can attend them and that price isn't a barrier. So definitely appreciate that support. And um, we are also doing a bunch of Studio 77 activities. So we have our casual conversations with comic creators series. So each month I talk to a different comic creator about their journey, about their work, about them as people, as we look to uncover the human being behind the art form. I will be speaking with Shazleen Khan, on the 5th of September from 7.30 p.m. BST about her work, about her journey. Um, so tune into that and then you can catch it on VOD after that. And then we are going to be playing games at the end of August. So as you listen to this, as it comes out, you've got a week. We're going to be doing it in a week uh, or catch it on VOD afterwards. All the highlights when we put them on YouTube. So we're going to be playing Adopt Me, through, which is a Roblox game done by a different company. and. That is about all I know this stage. Uh, and that's how we yeah, like it. I don't it. know anything either. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to, we're going blind, uh, kind of the thing <laughs> of, of the games night. So just tune in for the chaos, uh, basically. Tune in to watch us try and set up the game. That tends to be the first part. <laughs> and then uh, the middle part is us figuring out um, how to play the game. Then usually ends with Tazzy being decent at the game and uh, everyone else just trying to 
figure out what's going on. So there we go. There's the formula. Uh, it works. It, it definitely works. Um, so check that out on Wednesday, the 30th of August, for 7 p.m. BST, uh, that one. Uh, 7.30 for the casual conversations. Uh, 7 or roundabouts, depends how well we do setting up for the games night. Um, and if you're a creative professional, young person, wants to get into the creative industry, or you are supporting such a person, then check out our showrunners work experience program. So we're making work experience opportunities uh, available for young people age 16 and up to work with us, our team, across comic creation, video game events, and content creation. So we've got a bunch of people um, at the moment working on different bits of comics on our live stream on video um, as well. And the aim is to give practical real world work experience that will hopefully help them in their first steps. Um, I think one of the first steps is like uh, show people how to respond to email and answer email. I, I need to do that training session. So speaking of email, email us hello at mymeta.com if you want to find out more and we'll tell you all about the proper ways to respond to emails. There we go. Now you're all caught up with the My Matter universe. Let's talk about some of the stories we've been enjoying this week. This is the part of the podcast where we have a spoiler-free discussion on what stories everyone has been reading, watching, playing, listening to. <laughs> and we'll start with our guests, starting off with Billy. Oh my god, okay. I have been dying to talk about this. Um, I'm really late to the party on Divergent, and I just read the first book, so I rushed immediately afterwards, enjoying it so much to watch the movie and I've, I've i was very disappointed i'm not gonna lie to you i was a bit heartbroken yesterday when i watched the movie mm -hmm. do you know what i didn't even know that it was based on a book oh my god that's <laughs> so much better i don't want to be that person but i have to be the book was so much better <laughs> i mean they normally are so now i'm gonna gonna go and read the book because i actually enjoyed the film which i feel like i wouldn't have if i'd read the book first it might oh be like yeah. <laughs> you'll be like what is this they've missed so much integral moments as you know you have to when it's different media but it still made me very angry <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm adding it to my book list right now <laughs> honestly yeah it's such a good read i'm excited for the next one other than my divergent madness this weekend i have been really just kind of exploring a lot of boulders gate three as you can imagine <laughs> being a dnd nerd so i've been very much enjoying that nice i i need to get my hands on it i've, I've like seen lots of reels of character creation and i'm like i am sold <laughs> It's absolutely gorgeous. There's already like so, mods are oftentimes, I don't know, shunned, I think, in the community, but the studio have been really good about it. They've been like, yeah, bring them on, like do the mods, uh, have fun, uh, which I think is really nice. They've been really supportive of the community, which is awesome. Highly, highly rate. It's really, really fun. I'll get my hands on that. Uh, probably not yet, but definitely for like the colder months where I can just like cozy and play games. James, what about you? I finally got around to watching Zombieland Double Tap, the sequel to Zombieland. Um, and it's, if you like zombies and you haven't seen this one yet, get in. It's, it does what it says on the tin. It's a no-nonsense, light-hearted zombie movie. It's an absolute romp. Most of the jokes land. Everybody involved is clearly having a whale of a time. It feels, actually, it feels a lot like a role-playing game adventure. The central group are a very tightly knit band they feel like an adventuring party they've all got their assigned roles they've all there's lots of talk about weapons and gear specifically cars 
and stuff, and they're on a road trip, and there's a journey. It's great. It's just on. It will not tax you at all. You will not require to think. And lots of fun callbacks to the first one as well. So that was that was lighthearted nonsense. What else? I I found a book on my e-reader, and I have no memory of downloading it or ever <laughs> being told about it or anything. And it's called Vita Nostra or Vita Nostra. It's by Marina and Sergei Diachenko, who are apparently a leading, I think Sergei's dead now, leading Ukrainian science fiction writers. Mm. And it's, I really don't want to give too much away because I went into it knowing nothing. I thought, I'll give this a try. I must have downloaded it for a reason. Nothing about it rings any bells at all. It's like nobody's ever described this book to me. But going into it cold, it's so not what I was expecting. And then every couple of chapters, it changes and it's still not what you're expecting. It's kind of the Ukrainian Harry Potter, only the opposite of Harry Potter. It's kind of being taken away to be educated in a strange subject somewhere quite remote. But everything is there. And it's just great. And I'm only about two thirds of the way through. And every spare moment, I am just reading this thing. It's absolutely, I don't know where it came from. I recommend it very highly, Vita, Vita Nostra. And the other one, if I can squeeze in a third, uh, The Sword Defiant, which is a it's a kind of a new school take on an old school fantasy novel by Gareth Hanrahan. Gareth is an old friend, but it's always nice when an old friend writes a good book. And this is, again, it's a fantasy romp. There's a Dark Lord. There's an adventuring hero. The thing is, he's retired and the Dark Lord's back and he's got to kind of come out of retirement with his evil talking sword. So it's it's lots of familiar tropes, but with fresh new spins put on it and it's it's a laugh but it's a cracking plot good characters and just again not overly taxing thoroughly enjoyable okay i've just added both of those to my to my (laughs) reading list sorry i'm costing you money (laughs) my reading list is worse than my my gaming backlog it's it's the whole thing But yeah, I this I feel like this is feeding into like but kind of genres that I want to read uh, at the moment. I do a lot of nonfiction and I need some more fun oh, fiction. So Yeah, I'm reading a lot of nonfiction for projects at the moment and it's kind of I need some need some relief. Okay, yeah. stop telling me about the organizational structures of the French resistance. I need some relief. <laughs> Just need some fantasy, okay? Exactly. <laughs> talking swords. What that's what the French resistance needed. More talking swords. That would have changed history quite a bit. <laughs> I think yeah. it would, yeah. <laughs> Three Musketeers uh, would have been very different. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Okay, so I've binged a lot of Fruit Basket, which is way more emotional than I thought it was. I did mm. try and watch it like way back, the the older version. And so I like recognised some of the story um but then i've just like binged the the now updated version which is i guess not even that new now but it's new it's the updated version you know what i mean <laughs> um so i've been to like that i um i think i'm on season two now do you know what even though the characters the main characters are in school i'll give them that they are refreshing and <laughs> <laughs> not they don't feel like they're in school. They feel more like they're in college. So, uh, it's yeah. It's always been on my watch list, but I've never gotten around to it. Oh, it is so good. It is really, really good. It's very emotional, though. Like, be prepared for that. <laughs> I did cry at the Barbie movie recently, um, which was 
my first time crying this year, actually. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it broke me. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy about it. I was like, oh, good. Finally, I am a real human. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Yeah, if you... Fruit basket might might also make you cry. I don't know. It'll be good to know. Let me know if you get around to it. Yeah, I'll get back to you. Give <laughs> <laughs> me an update on the tears. <laughs> uh, I also have been watching some more of Runner Girlfriend. Again, hilarious. Definitely watch it. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not what you think. It's it's so good. <laughs> I rewatched the proposal. Uh, I had to bring that up because good old Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> uh, you do love Ryan Reynolds on the show. Yeah, so I had to, had to just mention that I watched that. And then, of course, the continuing saga of One Piece. <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen One Piece, but I've seen there's a card game out, which um, I am a lover of card games. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> do I now you... have to get into this? <laughs> do you want to come to the Bandai Namco store with me? Because they've we... got like a demo of One Piece. Oh, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> Just let me know. <laughs> Nigel, I notice we're not invited. Yeah, so I mean, you know. Neither of you commented on the fact that I was watching One Piece, so. <laughs> I, I already made my comment is that I'm not yet fully committed. Although you are, every time you mention it, you are inching me closer and closer to maybe just one more episode and see what, see what happens. You just, I say this to people, like, don't listen to the people that are telling you, like, watch it and you have to try and, like, catch up to the episode 1100 and whatever we're on. I don't know. <laughs> just watch it in your own time and enjoy the journey and just know that it's going to be your very reliable anime that will always be there for you. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, it takes so much of the pressure off. I really enjoy okay. it. And people want to throw spoilers at me all the time. And like, you watch One Piece. And it's like, calm down. I watch yes. One Piece, but I don't, it's not my at. religion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just... I've enjoyed it. and they're like you must catch up and I'm like no I must enjoy the show and I'm enjoying it so just enjoy mm. it at your own pace fine it will, it will always be there one piece isn't going anywhere but yeah that's that, they're my journeys <laughs> <laughs> Nigel what are your shows or stories yeah so I'm gonna I think I've got two new ones and two I want to bring up because you weren't here last time around Dazzy so um, ah, so this is I wanted just you to me. be one is particularly just for you, and one I just wanted to see what the reaction is. Um, so, first one is a lookism, which is something that you mentioned on a previous episode, and I went ahead and watched and actually finished. I mean, sorry, Yay. like ten episodes. Yeah, I got some thoughts. I mean, this is non-spoiler, but so it's a story about a a kid in a society that favors good looks, which is just society <laughs> and he is he's not having a good time like he's getting bullied and the, the whole premise so that in the like the first part first episode is he's getting bullied but he moves to a new place and he's still getting bullied like i thought it was going to pick up for him and it just oof, um he's really i really feel for him but then he finds out that he can he's in a different body he suddenly wakes up in a different body and one that is very good looking and very athletic and just yeah just your classic beautiful guy and he's just the reaction from everyone around him just changes completely so it's this whole thing about how we treat people who we see as quote-unquote 
good looking. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what it had to say. I will say, uh, and maybe we'll Tazi will we'll talk in more detail after this, but I'm I'm not sure if the ending gets the gets to the message I thought it's gonna get Ooh. to. I'm trying to think of the ending, I might have to rewatch the last episode. Okay, and try and remember yeah, how it just, ended. But it's good. It was it was, it was good. It was just like really interesting to see the different reactions and how the main character kind of changed as well. So mm-hmm. good series. And it's a oh my god, it's a Korean anime. It's not a yes. Japanese or even a Western. Korean. Yeah, so um, that was interesting. So the intro music was was great. You yeah, <laughs> I, definitely. Yeah, that. I do love Korean Korean intros. I have one question though. Yeah, it might be a hard one to do spoiler free, but just. Mm, a short descriptive of how you feel about the main character in in general as a whole like after watching all of it did that change it's uh, like throughout the the series yeah but but not massively okay yeah cool we'll need to talk talk more like (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) all right cool um so let me move on from yeah. that. My um, <laughs> one is "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." Have has yes. anyone watched this? Yes, I, I bounced off the first episode hard. I just stopped off about <laughs> ten minutes. Wow. Enjoying it. So I I am watching this, and so I was I started watching this because I've I've heard about it, never seen it until like mm-hmm. I don't know like last month sometime. I started watching it. And I'm like I got all the way through season one because it is one of those shows I can just put on and sort of as I'm doing something else. I didn't have to necessarily give full concentration to start season two. I kind of I looked up and I'm like, wait a minute, none of these characters are likable. Like they are <laughs> all terrible people. I don't, I don't know if that's the point, but it's just mad to see because <laughs> like it made me think of uh, The Office. So the first season of The Office, uh, Michael Scott's character, the US Office was not a likable person. And I remember when they came back for season two, they had made changes to him. So they made him like the unlikable boss, but they gave him redeeming qualities. These people have no redeeming qualities. Uh, (laughs) At every move, they do say just the wrong thing, the worst thing you can do (laughs) as a human being. They do, and they keep doing. And none of them good people and yet i'm still watching the show so <laughs> i don't know what that says about the way they've designed it it's just it's just fascinating you know there's they're just not good people i don't want to know pe- people like that in in real life <laughs> but i will watch them on screen so yeah. no but, i i really struggled with it it's always sunny i literally only watched it because i had friends that were obsessed with it during it and like during lockdown that's all they ever spoke uh, about oh wow and then I was like, I had to like force myself to watch it because I was like, I'm just not getting half of the group jokes. And I already spend the least time like on video calls with everyone. They all ended up living together. So I spent even less time. And I was like, right. if I do not get this show. I literally do not exist in this friendship group. Right. Oh, wow. Is it that? Okay. I wouldn't say yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not obsessed with it. I'm, I'm fascinated more than anything. Like it's, at the moment, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like, like super funny, but it's just, I don't know. I feel they've got something where because they kind of lose, they always lose. I think that's the, yeah. the thing. You, I'm enjoying. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. You know, I'm just, I'm really, it's really weirding me out because I'm, I'm just like these are not good people, and I've, yeah. I've never, I don't think I've seen a show where like the protagonists, all the protagonists, are just this level of of just terrible people. 
I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's you one think of the things. A lot of the great sitcoms, I mean, Frasier, everyone's dislikable pretty much. Dad's Army, they're all incompetent and hopeless. Yeah, um, someone told me um, uh, Seinfeld as well, but I've, I've not watched enough Seinfeld to think. And they, were, they weren't necessarily bad people. They were just like aloof and just, just and hopeless. Hope, yeah. Yeah, but, or these are like actively, actively like, bad. bad. They, <laughs> there's some things they say and you're like, oh yeah, like, yeah, like just, they're just bad people. So it's, it's, yeah. there's a difference. And yeah, Frasier was kind of like, you know, they're all elitist, so they don't relate to mm. like average person. This is like, <laughs> they are average people, but they think <laughs> they're, they're something more. But it's a fascinating show uh, so far. So watching that. Um, on the other end of the scale, which is definitely just amazing uh, fantastic and when we do our end of best of the year podcast episode this is going somewhere uh, i said no spoilers oh <laughs> <laughs> well spoiler for episode whatever number that is <laughs> yeah uh so this is primal which is a show by the creator of samurai jack and is about a, a person in the st- not even stone age in the nathaniel nathaniel that word, Nathaniel Fall. Nathaniel? No, I don't know. Neanderthal? That's there it, we yeah. Go. There we go. We got there. We got there in the end. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I swear I've got a degree somewhere. Um, so, yeah, and his journey in this world. The, the hook of this is that there's no dialogue. And this show is just, it's fantastic. And I engage with it in a completely different way. I guess because there's no dialogue, I'm, I'm looking at other cues and other actions and the audio and um the, the visuals but because of that the story is just it's just so engaging and it's so i guess primal so like it goes to like the emotional like i feel every episode is just packed with story and the emotional journey that the main characters i'll just say that uh, are on i'm just so invested in and it just it impacts me when they get in situations and it is an amazing show I'm on season two i think there's only two seasons it's just fantastic it's yeah it's just an amazing show encourage everyone to watch it if you haven't seen it and then i will end on something a bit lighter um marlon which is um a sitcom i didn't even know existed um marlon wayans had a sitcom done two episodes uh, two seasons and then got cancelled on netflix and it's kind of the uh, I don't need my brain for this um, kind of show. So I'm trying to find more of those so I can just uh, sit and watch that. Watch that. But what's good about it? It's just basically Marlon, his his life, his family is that kind of. If you the wife in it is, um, if anyone watched the show Smart Guy, the sister in that show is the now the wife uh, in this, and it's that kind of that kind of show. But it's just fun. It's just fun. Marlon Wayans is clearly having a good time doing it. You can see so they just let him loose on it. He's telling jokes. It's just fun to watch. And you can see how he's like kind of making other people break character because of just the, the stuff he gets up to in that show. Um, yeah, just fun. Switch your brain off. Enjoy Marlon Wayans. Be Marlon Wayans. And uh, yeah, that is the other thing that I am watching. So I do love me a good sitcom. Yeah, it's, it's, I recommend it. If you like that kind of sitcom, it is, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Definitely enjoying it. So those are the stories that we've been enjoying. Now let's get to our main story discussion. Today, we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, the 2023 fantasy heist comedy film directed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis DeLay, 
who co-wrote the screenplay with Michael Gilio. It's based on the tabletop role-playing game Dungeons and Dragons. It's set in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting and stars Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Reggae Jean Page, Justice Smith, Sophia Lillis, and Hugh Grant. So, spoiler alert, we are in the spoiler section. I will do a recap of the story, but before I do that, let's get everyone's quick takes and general impressions of this story. Uh, starting with James, what did you think of this story? I was filled with dread going in because I remember <laughs> the old Dungeons & Dragons movie and indeed many, many other really, really bad fantasy movies, some inspired by role-playing games, some not. And I loved it. It was a romp. It did not take itself seriously. There's mm. lots of in-jokes for gamers. Uh, and particularly for D&D fans. And I took my kids, who have a little experience with D&D, and my wife, who has none, and we all just thoroughly enjoyed it. Cool. Okay, Billy, how about yourself? Oh my god, yeah. I feel like everyone was super apprehensive about it, because we all wanted this to go so well, because I feel like D&D has like, grown in just general whether that's from stranger things or all sorts of other things like bringing it into the main media but like i was like oh this has to do well because we need to get more friends <laughs> interested <laughs> in what we're all doing and i just i laughed the entire time it was just absolutely brilliant it was so much fun and it was exactly what they needed to do i think they absolutely nailed it it really encapsulated for me how it feels to play dungeons and dragons where you don't really know what's going to happen it is just a roll of the dice and you're just hoping that the city plan that you've made up with your friends is going to go well just muddling muddling through a lot of the time making yeah. up as we go along absolutely like tazzy what did you think about it uh, it was definitely a lot of fun i really enjoyed it um i de- then ugh, i did have like questions i was like oh is this a tnd thing so <laughs> i was constantly <laughs> i was constantly just like oh and then i was like wait uh boulder's gate <laughs> I was like, oh, so is this just a thing? <laughs> I'm like, I know so little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get that. I get that. That was that was definitely me uh, as well. So when I watched this film, I'd never played D&D. Um, so I'm glad we're doing this episode now because I've since uh, played D&D for the first time and feel like I'm now an expert so I can talk about it. In fact, I don't need anyone else on this podcast. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Um, but it's given me um, a bit more appreciation for the film, which I did enjoy. So I can then say I watched the film as someone who, I mean, I, I know about D&D, but not having played it. So I, I always say I'm an outsider in that sense. And what I really liked about this is the way they were able to take that and apply it into a into a form that your average cinema goer could understand and enjoy and get into. So it felt like it was familiar if you have played the game and you know some of the things in there were like nods to that but then if you weren't like at no point did i feel alienated um in that in that film and i could just enjoy it enjoy the story and the characters so i think from a like a, a hollywood film i think is like a solid like all the the beats are there and and everything like works together and then i guess we'll, we'll find out it would be interesting to hear from more from Billy and James about as a D&D film what it does well and uh, and that side of it um, as well so yeah I think it was uh they've they've done a good good job with this so yeah we'll get into it um like I said I'll recap the story so this is a story that takes us to a raid being carried out by 
Bard, Edgin Davis, Barbarian Holger Kilgore, Amateur Sorcerer Simon Ormar, Rogue Con Artist Forge Fitzwilliam, and Forge's Mysterious Acquaintance Sophina. During the raid, Edgin attempts to steal a Tablet of Reawakening to resurrect his wife, but he and Holger are captured while the others escape. After two years' imprisonment, Edgin and Holger escape to Neverwinter, where they learn Forge has become Lord. He has also been taking care of Edgin's daughter, Kira, convincing her that Edgin's greed led to his arrest. And not the fact that Sophina is a red wizard and orchestrated the whole thing uh, and their capture uh, with Forge. Sophina attempts to execute Edgin and Holgar, but they escape and decide to rob Forge's vault and bring Kira home during the reinstituted High Sun Games. Needing the tablet to resurrect Edgin's wife, Edgin and Holgar track down Simon to help before also recruiting the shape-shifting druid Doric. Doric infiltrates Forge's castle as a fly, finding the vault has magical defenses which Simon cannot disable. Simon believes a magic relic, the Helm of Disjunction, could disable them and the group is sent to find Paladin Zenk Yangdar who guides them through the Underdark to retrieve the Helm. With the help of a teleportation staff obtained from Holger's half-ex-halfling ex-husband, they find the relic but are attacked by assassins sent by Sofina. Zenk fights them off and helps the group escape from the obese red dragon before departing. Simon has trouble mastering the helm's power, so they decide to use the staff to enter the vault during the games. Simon and Holgar infiltrate the vault, but find the room empty except for a magical trap. The group is then captured and forced to participate in the games, but manage to escape the stadium. Doric discovers Forge had loaded the treasure onto a bolt to flee, but the group steals the bolt and rescues Kira from Forge. As they escape, the group realizes Sofina organized the games to draw a massive crowd and turn them into an undead army. The group then returns to draw people out of the stadium before Sofina's spell can take effect. Enraged, Sofina attacks the group, but Simon finally masters his magic and helps Kira place an anti-magic bracelet on Sofina, who is then killed by Doric in owlbear form. But Holger is fatally injured. Edgin uses the tablet to bring her back to life, accepting that he wanted to bring his wife only for his own sake, while Holger had become a true part of their family. Now restored, the old Lord of Neverwinter declares the team heroes of the realm. Zenk sends the forge to Revel's End, where he spectacularly fails to escape, as Edgin and Holger did when his pardon was denied. The end. One of the things that I didn't actually know about when I was putting together the notes and and certainly when I watched it is that there was a another D&D film I feel either I just didn't know at the time or apparently it was so bad that it could have just been blocked from collective memory have uh, either of uh, have any of you seen the 2000 Dungeons and Dragon film once (laughs) 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 once a long time ago yeah it's there are three there are two sequels to it and they're worse it, well, it was so bad. How did they get? How did they get two sequels? It's one of those, you know, they're like made on a fraction of the budget. You know, uh, and, you know, the CG models existed by that point. I think so. I think at least one of them was basically made for TV. But yeah, you can make a sequel of pretty much anything these days, as long as the original took a certain amount of money at the box office, which it right. did because people wanted a D and D movie. And in the year two thousand. There was a bit of a shortage because that's pre the Lord of the Rings movies, which kicked the whole mm. thing off the new cycle of fantasy movies. I'm I'm digressing. It's awful. It's, <laughs> yeah. um, 
written and directed by a guy called Courtney Solomon, whose basic, you know, um, CV is I am a massive D&D nerd with some money. (laughs) And at the time, TSR, who published Dungeons & Dragons, were a bit skint. So they they accepted his deal. Took him a long time to make the movie. It's it's based on his own D&D campaign. It's that level of, of... kind of, oh, God, this is not going to be good. No, it's worse than you can possibly imagine. It has some really great wow. actors just looking acutely embarrassed. <laughs> it, it's not it so good. It's so bad, it's on good. Rotten Tomatoes, it's, apparently. It's just bad. You're making me watch it, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I feel like it would be a really good movie to watch as a drinking game. I was literally just yeah. thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think if you're throwing marshmallows at the screen and stuff, it's as long as you can do it in a way that nobody involved with the production gets any money at all, and indeed so that you're not paying any, fine, fine. But do not pay to see this movie, please. Wow. Yeah. That's doable in this day and age. Yeah, that could be arranged, no problem. Yeah, it'll be on some streaming service somewhere. Okay, well, uh, but yes, this one was better. It's very bad. Yeah. yeah. And then with the current film, so the 2023 film, so I, I've i heard about this issue with Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast, and I feel, I don't know if this was part of the reason that the film was being released, uh, delayed being released, because it was originally supposed to come out in 2021, but then, as I understand, due to struggles between production and rights holders, the release was pushed back, and I don't know if that's come around at the same time as the changes to the open gaming license that's happened or if this is a separate issue i feel like that's definitely something that's been uh, this year that's kind of been happening i don't know if that was like part of their decision making but i'm kind of glad it was pushed back to 23 because i feel like we were still in pretty bad like pandemic times 2021 from my memory that isn't very good um, yeah, yeah. no so still, feel, it's still pandemic time yeah, yeah i feel mm. like it maybe wouldn't have hit home as much compared mm. to it being released now and everyone actually being able to go to the cinema and have that experience compared to, i don't think people would have maybe gotten the hang of it as much as if they were going to watch it at home yeah i i agree it's on the big screen it's very much a big screen piece of entertainment. If you're sitting there and you're glancing at your phone and stuff, I think you'd miss half the jokes and the visual references. And it wouldn't be the same. Being immersed in it, it really works. Yeah, I think. I mean, there's some people in the cinema still on their phone, which is uh, oh annoying God, to see. Yeah, <laughs> like just two hours. Give it two hours and straight in the um, bin. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I agree with this being like a cinema experience and that delay. I maybe. Well, I was certainly helping it versus that particular time if it had come out. But um, I know, and we might touch on it later in terms of like the likelihood of getting another one and and sort of how that how it does at the box office impacting that. So with the the story itself, like I said, I when I watched the film, I never played D and D, but have since done that. So um, in fact, Tazzy was the dungeon master. Well, it technically that. wasn't D and D; it was B and B. Oh yeah, because we did a different. Well, I'm I'm claiming it is the closest is the closest that I've got. I'm still I'm very early on this on this ladder. Okay, what's what's B and B? Because for me, as an old school gamer, B and B is bunnies and burrows, and I suspect no. that's not what you were. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. Yeah, we should it expand was, um, on that. <laughs> bunkers and badasses, which is tightly, <laughs> tiny Tina Wonderland D and D kind of brilliant. That's really good. I played that. It's yeah. so much fun. 
Um, but we played like the part of the one shot. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah, that we went didn't longer. even get past the like tutorial yeah, section. Did, <laughs> it was a uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience for me. And I was just going to say it was my second time ever playing a D and D based game, and first time being a or in this case bunker master. But uh, <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, and what I got from it, I related back to this film is that you have this idea of when the bunker master or dungeon master uh, has a plan for the story but <laughs> the players have a different plan <laughs> and that oh, yeah. happened yeah that happened a few times and i i did like seeing that in this film where we, we constantly see like it because it, it felt like the the main cast were the players and everyone else was a npc and people were just like making stuff up <laughs> as as they went <laughs> as things change like when um is it because I, I was gonna say jonathan but it's like john jonathan jonathan yeah John, i yeah. love jonathan yeah. he's probably like one of my favorite characters <laughs> <laughs> oh that's well he has limited screen time but he he uh it makes an impact so you have this early in the film where edgin and Holger are in prison and they're waiting they're, there's this like you know parole hearing effectively and i think is the idea is like there's a they can put forward their case and edgin's like really wanting jonathan to turn up and he's not there and he's like, can we just like wait until he gets here? I really think he'll be, you know, he'll want to hear this. And I'm thinking like this is some kind of deep connection that he's got with him. So it turns out he's a massive bird and they just want to use his body to <laughs> jump out of prison and, and go. So is that kind of just we're going to make up this plan as we go? Like how well for those that um, have played more than me, which is everyone, how well does, do you think the film like emulates that kind of making stuff up and thinking on your feet? Oh, 100%. I was literally just playing D&D this weekend and some of the stuff that we were trying to come up to do because what players will do is come up with every loophole possible rather than take the normal route because that's too boring. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. You know, they want to take a bird out of the however many story window rather than like do their time in prison, you know, like they want to get onto the next quest. <laughs> Or, or and we're going to get paroled anyway through the parole hearing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, you know, yeah, completely. They will players will avoid the obvious. They'll ignore the obvious. They'll completely miss the obvious half the time, and then through a succession of lucky dice rolls, will commit some massively daring escape that becomes part of the lore of your game group, part of the the history and the stories that you recount later on. And it felt very much like that. And there's a couple of moments where the opposite happens where someone's trying to do something kind of obvious and clearly massively misses the dice roll critically fumbles it there's a moment where a bridge collapses i was literally thinking that and i think everyone's <laughs> just going you rolled a one mate one, yeah. that was very clearly very clearly a one on your roll there and yeah it's full of beautiful moments like that which and it doesn't matter if you're not in the game if you if you've not got any experience of the game you will still enjoy it just as a piece of cinema it reminded me a lot of watching session zero Oh my god! Yeah, yes. well. <laughs> That's so true. Like the whole time, I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, <laughs> "There's Billy, there's Rage." <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so true as well because, like, some of the stuff because a lot of what we do with Session Zero is like get audience participation and get them to vote for things and like. Mm. Uh, this is literally what would like be happening like someone would shout out an idea and you're like oh yeah let's do that that was much better than my idea that i just had in my head didn't quite get around to it but now it's my go so i'm gonna create a portal to here and then we're gonna magically be able to go over here and wait look i've got a flaming sword like i just i love it so and much fun just to just for those that might not have come across it you just want to explain what session zero is 
Oh yeah, that would be a helpful context. So basically, <laughs> it's an improv Dungeons and Dragons group, um, and we we basically perform on stages and we recreate uh, sort of Dungeons and Dragons uh, themes. Um, I think last time we were trying to defeat a wizard in a tower. Um, that was the last plot point. Um, it was very very fun. <laughs> mm, yeah, is I've seen a couple times now at, at Insomnia. Uh, it's very very fun to watch. So. Yeah. So it's interesting to yeah to know that you kind of got that same feeling. I, I imagine like you were just watching it and just thinking about dice rolls <laughs> at each uh, occurrence. I think so. Like every time you would like James said, like see something happening, like yep, that was a one, or like oh that was definitely a twenty. Like finally yeah. a good roll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, and it's and if you're a massive D and D nerd, you can basically go, yes, oh, that's that spell, and that's that magic item, and yes, I recognise that. And it's it is it's based on the current edition, which is fifth edition, which bizarrely is actually the seventh edition of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> like them all all through. I've played fifth, but I don't know it inside out. I'm, what are the major differences between um, them, and and how would that affect the film, like what you saw in the film? Just some of the spells change slightly, and the spell powers okay. and, and things, and some of the magic items. There are there are classic magic items that keep coming, you know, keep going from edition to edition. And then every because they want to sell more books, they'll bring in new stuff as well. I mean, I I go back to the eighties. I my edition was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which was technically the second edition. Though there was then an Advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition, which just makes things very complicated. <laughs> so. You know, I, I could recognise some of it, but at the same time I could recognise that some of this was clearly bits from a, an edition of the game I didn't know. But it's it's just all of those... I hate movies where the um, that kind of Easter egg is telegraphed and it's kind of, oh, you're not clever enough to recognise what this is. Marvel does it from time to time. It's kind of, you should be getting this reference. Oh, too bad for you. And it's like the, the end of the, the Iron Man movie. If you didn't know who Nick Fury was, or indeed who the Avengers was, uh, yeah. that Samuel L. Jackson cameo would be just giving, you going, it's Samuel L. Jackson, I bet that's cool. Wish I understood what that meant. <laughs> but, you know, the Marvel nerds are oh, going, oh my God. Yeah, or the appearance of Howard the Duck at the end of whichever Guardians of the Galaxy movie it was. I'm a massive Howard the Duck fan. The comics rather than the George Lucas movie, that's a whole other tangent. But what it reminded me of, what this movie reminded me of, was Guardians of the Galaxy. I think they took a lot of their story structure cues from that kind of ragtag ensemble of of heroes facing a massive threat. And a lot of the tone was a kind of like, because it's got the jokey element, but there's this underlying seriousness of the world is actually a threat here. Things could go very wrong. We are joking because at any moment we may be facing some violent death. You know what, I, and I did appreciate that. So definitely get the, the Guardians of the Galaxy thing, uh, reference and the tone, the balance between there. There were obviously like there were jokes in there, but un unlike Thor: Love and Wonder, which if you don't know already, I do not care for. <laughs> the comedy doesn't undercut the dramatic tension in the film, in my opinion. So even though there were lots of jokes, and you know, sort of. Is subjective as to whether you want more or less of that but i felt there was no point where it undercut the okay here this is the goal and this goal means something to these characters whereas thor love and thunder nothing mattered in that film <laughs> no one cared <laughs> <laughs> and at every moment the jokes just undercut any kind of seriousness that might have been in there um, and it was just really frustrating for me but i felt that they got the tone the balance of the tone well or i would say i would say did they do you feel like 
because they, they definitely went the sort of Marvel jokey joke kind of way. Would this have worked as a more serious film or do you think the comedy route was the way to go? That's a difficult question. I feel like comedy is definitely the best way. I don't know, because D&D sessions can be so one way or the other. You can be laughing one minute and then like in tears uh, the next if your character dies because they made too many death-saving rules and didn't (laughs) save. So it it really depends. Like I think that's the beauty of D&D. Like you can be having a laugh one moment and then the next like in serious danger, actually the DM has Mm. just put out 10 dragons and good luck um he's out to get you uh so that's kind of how the movie feels to me like you feel like it's gonna be okay because you know every surely these are the main characters they're not gonna die are they are they (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think laughter is integral to to a good role-playing session it can be the the characters can be in deadly peril but the players can laugh because something ridiculous has happened or someone's got off a good one-liner and it's it's in, really important unless you're playing it, and there are enormously po-faced taking themselves serious role-playing games out there. Um, mm. Vampire the Masquerade probably come, comes to mind. Slightly faded these days, but was enormously successful for many years, um, and that was full of people and players mostly taking themselves far too seriously. But D and D is the the laughter is an important part of it, and I felt the movie worked because it accepted that and and rolled with it rather than trying to to pull back from that i think the pope yeah. it, it would not have worked the original dnd movie is has jokes but is a lot more po-faced about the whole thing and okay. and it's one of the reasons that it fails i think having hugh grant as the villain was i say villain mm. what one of the villains i guess you could say <laughs> yeah. I, just perfect <laughs> i would like to see him as a villain only from now on um yeah. he's just like the that perfect flavor bad of guy. <laughs> yeah yeah he was clearly having fun with it the most hilarious thing is that before i watched dnd because i literally watched it earlier today <laughs> <laughs> before i watched it i watched music and lyrics last night oh. um, <laughs> Which is like Hugh Grant being more of a typical Hugh Grant character, I guess. <laughs> and um, so the contrast was hilarious uh, okay, and even okay. more hilarious because I just had like the songs from music and lyrics in my head as he's on screen. <laughs> really... But if you've seen Paddington 2, which is kind of a contrast, he's the bad guy in that as well. And he's a yeah. high camp villain. And yeah. it's brilliant. Well, he channels he's, a bit of that. He does, yeah. I mean, clearly he's... He's not taking it entirely seriously, but I, I hope at least he was having fun with the part. Because again, back to the original 2001, it's Jeremy Irons in that kind of part. And he's chewing the scenery, but clearly thinking of the paycheck. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we've got like, I feel the comedy element helped. The other thing that helped, and so I will say before I watched this film, actually, I think I had seen one trailer. So I've kind of gotten to this thing where if I know I'm going to see something, I'll make an effort not to consume like trailers because sometimes trailers give away too much and um so i just come in and just take it as it's given so i didn't know but i was very pleasantly surprised to see that they went with the heist story framework and i love a good heist story so when i was like oh this is a heist format i'm in like whatever happens from here like i'm i'm in like oceans 11 is one of my favorite films i just love like that heist format so you've got this essentially this ragtag group of thieves that have to come together and eventually end up as as heroes as the story unfolds but certainly start with like selfish intent and i feel again it's like the the filmmakers understanding the source material but also the 
the medium, not just necessarily the medium of film, but the like like cinema. Like you're you're speaking to people who just might not be into D and D. They might have heard it. They might have seen it on Stranger Things or whatever. How do you take that and make it like palatable? Not that there's anything wrong with D and D in that sense, but just how do you make it relatable, that like understandable to them? I feel they did such a good job. So even if you have no clue about D and D, you can understand the heist format and you can get on board with like planning the heist executing the heist obviously something goes wrong they have to adapt which again fits well with dnd something goes wrong you have to adapt and then like the aftermath of the heist and it allows them to bring what is relatively speaking like a, a niche interest a mainstream audience and just work and i feel that was such a good execution of it do you feel that the heist format in particular was something that yeah, like it had to be like that for uh, a D&D film or could it have been done any other way? Oh, geez. There's so many one-shots that exist and have yet to be in existence in the world. And it almost, I think it is honestly a perfect thing to do because it, you don't want something that's going to be too long. You're not going to sit there through three parts. You don't want something that's going <laughs> to get boring too quickly ice is just that perfect amount of we need to get here and steal the thing and get it out but then there's issues along the way like you said like them actually becoming the heroes at the end um and just having that whole flip round i think it was a really good way of telling a story and getting you into the D universe without having to i guess over explain stuff at least without, you know, like you said, like Ocean's Eleven, people are really familiar with how a heist works um, mm. in general action movies. So it's definitely a, a, a cool kind of trope to kind of go on. I would say it fits ideally with the subject matter because your classic D&D adventure is basically a heist. You're going down into a dungeon, which is either long abandoned and full of traps and monsters or newly constructed <laughs> and full of people who are still alive who are going to try and kill you usually to try and steal one particular thing at the end or just to steal a lot of treasure generally. And that's the classic D&D adventure. And this is basically what this movie does at least twice and arguably three times. There's the, there's the initial raid, then there's the, they go down in the Underdark, which if you're a D&D fan is a big deal, to get the, the thing of thing. I can't remember actually what it's called. <laughs> Out, Hell, you know, it's, it is basically a heist, and you know, and it goes wrong, and they have to improvise, and and you know, they get chased by the fat dragon, which is great, <laughs> and which is an established character within the D and D universe. Uh, so again, a lot of people going, it's the fat dragon. That's great. <laughs> um, so yes, I think it works really well, and yes, it's a very accessible thing. Everyone understands a heist. Everyone understands how how a heist is plotted and how it's presented in, in a movie. A very smart plotting friend once once told me there are two ways of presenting a heist within a movie. If they explain the plot, what they're trying to do in the heist in advance, then it will go wrong. If you just watch the heist Ooh. but you've no idea what they're trying to do, then it'll probably go right at oh, least most right. of the way. And that's kind of... But in, in role-playing games generally, that's kind of the same thing. If you plot the thing out in advance... You're telling the dungeon master essentially what you're going to do, so the dungeon master is making preparations for making sure that's going to go wrong, because otherwise it wouldn't be interesting. And if mm. you just improvise it and depend on dice rolls and stuff, then it might go right, it might go catastrophically wrong. So yeah, it, it feels not only a great piece of screenwriting, but within genre as, as well. I think it's another yeah. reason why D&D &D fans really enjoyed the movie. 
And this is why I also need to tell people to go watch uh, Great Pretender, the anime, uh, the highest anime, um, which I hope is still on Netflix, which is, which is, uh, yeah. actually, I'm not even going to say anything. Just <laughs> uh, go, go watch it. It is a fantastic okay. anime and fantastic heist um, movie. Just absolutely brilliant. Uh, it makes me want to go commit crimes if I can <laughs> do it looking that cool. <laughs> If we're recommending stuff, there's a great tabletop role-playing game called Blades in the Dark, which it posts D&D, but it's actually set up the whole, the meta structure of the game is you're basically creating a gang, very kind of um, Peaky Blinders-esque, except it's a kind of techno-fantasy city. I'm sold. A a lot of it is based around heists, and there's a really clever mechanic that instead of having to plot the heist in advance, you can have a flashback. You can come up against a problem during the heist, and the DM goes... How or the games master says, how are you going to deal with this? And you go, well, a week ago, we left some tools here, or whatever it is. So you can have those flashbacks, and it's really clever, and it's very cinematic, and it works absolutely brilliantly. Blades in the Dark is just an amazing piece of design. If you've tried D&D cool. and it wasn't for your taste, Blades in the Dark, as a modern piece of role-playing game design, D&D is still very kind of stuck in the 70s, 80s, because it's a heritage game. It's never going to get that far away from its original roots. But people are doing amazingly clever things with game design in the last 40 years or so. Um, Blades in the Dark is, is one of the forerunners of, the, of that. Well worth a look. Oh, cool. I, I was actually, so as we record I, early in the day, um, I was doing a game design session with a group of younger, what are they, I don't know, 12 to 15, about there. Um, and it's one girl, she's got a game which is a kind of murder mystery thing. Um, and I've, I've set the theme of summer, so it's, everyone's going to is it uh, Ibiza, and there's a some kind of murder mystery. But the way she's got it at the moment is like people play a role. So it's a bit mm-hmm. of a yeah. So as you're describing that, James, I'm like, so she's everyone takes a character, and then there's she's so she's got a story like coming together, and everyone has to play a story. So there were moments as we were play testing, where it's like, okay, you're this character, and this has happened. Now you have to act out the scene. So I'm, I was like acting out. Apparently, the character I picked was having was it a, no, not an affair or some base. I was getting too close to some other character's husband or something like that. So I was try, <laughs> trying to act out this, this scenario. So we're gonna it's a two day thing. So we're gonna go back tomorrow wow. and, and develop it. But I was I was surprised because I'll be honest, I didn't think she'd come up with anything the way the session started and uh, some of the behavior at the beginning. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> she's she surprised me, and um, there's always that capacity for children to get you uh, to yeah to surprise you, which is good. So I'm actually pleased with what she's come up with so far. Fantastic, That's really cool. Yeah. Anyway, that was a tangent. That's a that my uh, this no, is story time from the workshop. <laughs> I, I feel like when that. I was younger, I definitely used to like love writing all sorts of things like that. I I remember doing trying to write a um oh my god. What they call like a like a dungeon crawler, but um, Taz, you might remember the TV show Trapped. Vaguely, yeah, it was like a CBBC show, and it was basically like a dungeon crawler with kids on TV, and it was like you have to like complete each level, and then you go through the next door, and you don't know what's going to be on the other side, and you've got to defeat that one to get out. And mm. it really inspired me. I was like, oh, I want to make one. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But yeah, so Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the <laughs> so the other thing that I, I really liked, as well as the the highest format, is the way that they got the they got humanity in the characters and made their journey relatable. Again, whether you know D anD D or not, they tied it around understandable things. So I've got this uh, screenwriting book because, as 
uh, I write in comics. I try and learn more about just screenwriting because it's a good, solid uh, foundation for storytelling. So I've got this book called Save the Cat, and it's written mm-hmm. by a guy called Blake Snyder, which um, and just talks about just breaking down the Hollywood formula. Um, and I don't say formula in a derogatory term in, in any way, just understanding how films are made for that like mass audience and the the structure, the format, the things that are in there. And one of the things that he um, he mentions, he's got a chapter on like sort of the, the primal urge. So you've got a hero and what's the motivation? And he's saying like the motivation comes down to just basic primal urges, survival, hunger, protection of loved ones, fear of death, that kind of thing. So when I was watching this film, I just kept thinking back to this book and I'm like, they they like studied this book. And obviously this book is about like Hollywood <laughs> filmmaking and everything, but they did it just so well. I can see all the beats. And again, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but I can see like this is a well-made film that is hitting all those points. So with the humanity in it, you've got this character, um, this protagonist who wants his his wife back. And you, you can just understand that. Like he's lost his wife. He wants her back and he's going on this journey. Just kind of when you say he's lost it, she's dead. She's dead. Sorry, he's not like at the airport or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he's trying to call it's customer service. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so she's she's died, and she's died as a result of something he's done, which is always like the best way to tie that guilt into like a protagonist's uh, motivation. So yeah, you can understand that, and then you know his his daughter gets taken over by or taken in by this guy that's double cost them. You can understand that. You can understand this uh, sorcerer who doesn't believe in his own power and is struggling to get that. So yeah, no, I, I really like the way they, they did that as well, where they they grounded the journey in human <laughs> humanness. I think humanness is a really interesting phrase to use in a game yeah, in which also they, in made a up. movie in which a number of the characters are elves or, or, or part elven. And this is a thing that D&D has been having a wrestling with, really, for the last few years, because back in the 70s, so the D&D, the game come up, came up with by a bunch of guys in the Midwest of America, and it was the 70s, it referred to characters' races, and there were the different races, there were the elves and the dwarves mm. and the humans and stuff, um, and they had different abilities, and, you know, dwarves had a lot of constitution, and elves were very dexterous. But the moment you start dividing people up by what they can do because of their race. race. That is inherently <laughs> racist. And a number of the races, <laughs> the orcs in particular, are implacably evil and the dark elves. The elves mm. whose skin is black because they live underground, which is a fundamental misunderstanding of the way that biology works, but we'll stay <laughs> past that. The dark elves are also inherently evil. And it's taken a very long time for D&D to go, maybe maybe this is very bad and we should do something about it. <laughs> and they true. are finally coming around to the point they go, well, well, maybe they're not all evil. It's, it's baby steps. They are, they are getting there. But there's some pushback there. on that. I've seen, oh, like... Oh, yeah, there's, there's been... A, yeah, like, a don't change the original source material. They, these, are the, these are how the creators intended them and they said they were this colour and all that. So... Yeah. And it's... And people, oh, but Tolkien okay, said as well. <laughs> if we're going to do that, then Dark Elves definitely need to be changed to bioluminescence. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I'm very on board with this. <laughs> Wait, that's such a smart idea. That's brilliant. I love that. Oh, I would That's I would my play next that. D&D character sorted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love it. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, so the, the movie doesn't go anywhere near that. Understandably, they leave mm. that a whole kettle of worms on over on the side. But it is something that D&D has been coming to terms with, the fact that its origins are were unthinkingly, but nonetheless, mired in, in the quite right-wing attitudes of the, of the 1970s. And recent additions and addendums to it have, have been taking that on face, face on and going, no, D&D is, is for everyone. And we mm. are taking out the stuff that it's just unconscious, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, I think, gen- mostly unconsciously racist. That stuff is, is coming out, if not out already. Thank, okay. go- thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, it's a yeah. That's a whole kind of debate about like when things were made. Everything's a product of its time, right? And um, mm. how to make those changes. So I'm going to play devil's advocate advocate a little bit with the film's narrative and the the journey because Phil, this is a a film that kind of meets expectations, and I'll I'll maybe suggest maybe a little too well. Um, so as I was putting together the notes and just hearing some of the responses afterwards, like I think it was a well-received film, but perhaps didn't do as well at the box office as accountants <laughs> would have liked in terms of like what it costs and what it uh, brings back and the profit it makes and how that justifies future ones. And then it got me thinking of like the wider topic of like where we are now. And if we say compared to the original one in, in 2000, as, as bad as that was, and the the options that we have to watch things at home on streaming services compared to cinema. So there's a channel that I, I like to dip into called um, Filmento on YouTube. And it, the creator does like good breakdowns of films, quote unquote failures, maybe not necessarily critical failures, maybe box office failures, but just looking at and dissecting it and trying to offer like constructive, like does it a very constructive way, uh, funny as well as at uh, times, but um, constructive way of offering why a film might have failed. Um, so there's a link I'll put in the show notes for this episode where he uh, talks about Dungeons and Dragons and he talks about the main areas of like character concept and, and plot. And he makes a point that the the main characters in this aren't too special. They're fine and they meet expectations, but they don't necessarily go beyond. Like they do everything you expect of them. And the main character, uh, Edgin, can come off as somewhat passive, who doesn't do much, even though he does have a goal, he doesn't necessarily do much and he doesn't go beyond his his power level, so to speak. And then you've got the the concept, which is this this journey, uh, this heist uh, that is going on, but it's something that we haven't, it's not something that we haven't necessarily seen elsewhere, and especially like on, you know, you can turn on any streaming service and see. And then the, the plot, which is the one I'll, well, I mean, uh, let me know what your thoughts are now, all of them, but the one that got me thinking is the, as they go, and it's part of the D&D thing of making things up and adapting as you go, but then it's whether there are any real consequences for failure. A couple of examples is where they go to the graveyard because they're looking for the the source of this this helm that they're after, and they've got a spell that can resurrect the dead, and you get a number of questions. I think it's like six questions, and it's this funny sequence that they use up all the questions inadvertently. So they use up all the questions on the first corpse, but then they're in a graveyard full of corpses and they just go to another corpse and, and do the spell again so they get what they want. So I wondered how you how you all felt about what is maybe a relatively smooth journey and did that impact your enjoyment of the film along the way or maybe the climax of the film where because the journey was so smooth, did it upset that? Um, I would say that this film was more about the journey yeah so anyway. <laughs> <enjoy> the journey. yeah 
that like the ending was kind of not irrelevant but it just it just didn't matter so much this was definitely a film that was like about the journey you were all along for the ride for like those ups and down moments even mm. if there wasn't any real obvious consequence because you were just like rooting for them um and the fun was in the like clumsiness of how they got there <laughs> <laughs> of like the you know like just gotta keep trying and that's the enjoyment was in that so i don't think it, it lost anything i'll start on like the character point i guess i think you're right like there's nothing really hugely special about each of them but i think that's kind of actually the thing that i like about it because they are very gateway dnd characters you've got your basic mm. barbarian she's angry she throws a potato you've got your <laughs> classic druid that can turn into an owlbear like i just yeah i feel like they went with the most basic versions and i don't know if that was an intentional choice um but it felt right to me just to i guess introduce people to the world and like what... it felt like that it felt like an introduction yeah. to the world and yeah the elements of D. It's, I think the problem is that for, to get people into the cinema, you say it's a movie about D&D, and everyone who's played it goes, well, D&D, it's a blank canvas. You can do whatever you want with it. it. You know, all right, you've set it in the forgotten realms. That's an entire country. What's, you know, what? who are the characters? There are no specific D&D characters. There are. D&D used to have this amazing line of novels in the 90s, TSR, was the largest publisher of fantasy novels in the world. Most of them based on the Dragonlance role-playing setting and the Forgotten Realms. They don't do that anymore. So there's no recognisable characters. There's nobody you can glom onto. It doesn't fit into any other continuity. And that can work. I mean, Lego. The Lego movie should not have worked and yet did and made a huge amount of money. But it's difficult to get an angle on what is this movie? It's, you know, it's got dungeons, it's got dragons. Yeah, but so what? And wasn't there that awful movie 20 years ago? (laughs) I I genuinely think a lot of people were probably put off by that. So I, um, I think you're right. I think the characters could have been more distinctive as personalities. They could have been... But I think they would have drawn away from the overall experience. They're a group. They have to work together as as a group, as a party. That's integral to what D&D is and to the enjoyment of, of the movie. If you've got one character who stands out, then it doesn't quite work as well. Yeah, that's so true. There's nothing worse than playing D&D and like, there's that one character who's like, no, I'm going to go by myself and do everything by myself because <laughs> I'm not a group person. I'm so edgy. It's like, well, oh. you're just bringing the whole group down. Like, come on, this is a party game. We're we're a party. Let's go adventuring together. I've I've had entire ca- campaigns ruined by. I mean, literally, the um, Star Wars RPG campaign ruined in the second session by the player who went, "I don't like any of you. I'm going away, and I'm oh, wow. taking your starship." And it's like, okay, so you, <laughs> the players are now just marooned okay. on this planet, and they're kind of <laughs> stuck. Um, yeah. Damn. So, yeah. Too bad for you. See you later. We'll have fun on our own. (laughs) That was it. And then she was surprised that I didn't take the campaign off and tell her what her amazing adventures were going to be in her stolen starship. You've just just deep-sixed, you know, weeks of work that I put into this thing. 
Uh, but yeah, man. no, showboating in, in role-playing games. It's, it's, I mean, okay. role-playing is it's a really interesting dynamic because the players are essentially performers. You're, you're performing to the rest of the group. You're not performing to a wider audience unless you're live-streaming it, which, which people do these days, to mm. enormous audiences. Critical Role, they're probably, yeah. I think, the most popular D&D podcast. They just the sold out a, a live performance at Wembley Arena. Oh my yeah, God. crazy. That's extraordinary. You should see the ticket prices. <laughs> That's, those were also extraordinary. Yeah. It's, I can tell you there's a lot of people in the media sitting up and paying attention to this, this mm. D&D thing. So yeah, so you're you're you are performing as players, and you've got to learn kind of the rules of being a good performer and being part of a, a, a troupe. And a lot of role playing games, D and D in particular, do not include how to be a good player rules. There's <laughs> lots of rules for how to play your character, but not how to be a good member of of the group. Ah, yeah. So maybe that is an intentional thing of making these characters because all fairly similar in terms of like power level, ability, and just like personality that no one necessarily stands out but then i guess there's the balance right of like making something that fits for the game and then making something that fits for the box office so i just had a quick double check and then seeing that like because the film was well received but then underperformed at the box office and apparently fell short of its break-even point i think that uh youtube channel that i'll, I'll link to makes that point that the film is is not that the film was bad it's that it's trying to understand like why it didn't do as well and one of the things that it came up with is that idea of maybe it's, it's doing things that we've, we as a audience have seen at home. And it's like, we now live in an age where you've got to do something special <laughs> to get people out. You have to be Keanu Reeves making, like mowing down a bunch of assassins to, because of a dog. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like, you really have to do so all like uh, Tom Cruise doing his own stunts and things like that. It's just an interesting like time um, that we're in. And another thing that kind of maybe falls into that category of like scene at home is the the visuals because I feel like the, the special effects here are are good. I know there's a whole thing about CGI. I feel like I've got a bit of CGI fatigue, or at least when I just notice it when it's just overuse of it. Um, and I, I've mentioned that when we talked about Marvel films. I've, yeah, I didn't have a problem with it here, but what I did appreciate is that there's a lot of practical effects here, and I feel like. I like that. Um, I, yeah. I really like that in Guardians of the Galaxy as well. I have to um, agree with you. Um, I'm pretty sure the like the scene where they do like the sand floor and they're like disappearing into the floor. I think that was some of that was practical. Like it wasn't. I think I watched some like behind the scenes stuff. It was really really cool. Jonathan actually, my favorite character, love him. Shout out. Um, he's actually <laughs> all practical. He's like a mechanical. Yeah actual bird and there's somebody inside the suit making it yes. work and fully it's operational crazy bird costume. yeah it's um, incredible it's hilarious i love practical <laughs> effects so much like i love bad practical effects more than i like <laughs> cgi there's just something like magical about them yeah. <laughs> it's like that handmade element yeah it just feels like it's it's actually then um so chris pine uh, himself said in an interview with collider that um and i quote uh, I think in an age of so much computer graphics, and certainly we have a bunch of that in this, this being a film, there are a lot of scenes that employ practical, old-fashioned craftsmanship, animatronics and stuff that we haven't really seen on film in a long time. And I think that's really exciting. And yeah, I, I agree. I think there's something like, I think about the the Mandalorian and, and Grogu in The Mandalorian. And like, it's not like, because when we enter a, f a film, like a cinema and, 
I know James, when you, we've done like the game design workshops and you've you've mm. given the intro and you've talked about this idea of suspending belief, like when entering the game world or we're entering the film. So there's a mm. level of suspending your disbelief. So when I watch Mandalorian, I'm not like, oh, this actually looks like a real um, real thing necessarily. But as I suspend my disbelief in this world, yeah, this is a thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna go with because it just it feels more real than if it was cgi there's elements of like cgi where you just i don't know it's just like a human thing you just see it and you're like ah that's not real i'm gonna yeah. I, I think that the, sub, the subconscious can often tell and quite often it's it, things like weight in cg or they lack weight, the correct that's a good weight word. they feel yeah. too light or, or too heavy or they lack momentum or uh yeah it's i mean it's one i love christopher nolan movies not necessarily for the direction or the story but he's an <laughs> absolute demon for christopher Practical effects, yeah. in-camera effects, if he mm. can possibly get them. He really hates using and CGI. And he's Christopher Nolan, so he can get them. He can make a, oh, he a can. bomb. Yes, he, yes. Has the, he has <laughs> the budget. Yeah. But, yeah, there's so much. Even if you go back to Jurassic Park, everyone goes, oh, Jurassic yes. Park, the first big CG movie. Huge amounts of that are practical effects. A lot of the dinosaur effects that you think of that must be CG. No, those are models. Those are... Either they're, they're not stop motion, but they are animatronics. And watch them are making of, um, because it was, you know, computing time back when Jurassic Park was being made was enormously expensive. They really had to ration the amount of CG they could put in. And these days, my kids just refer to all special effects as CG, and they assume that it's all done in computers, which <laughs> is really interesting when we watch movies from the 80s, uh, right. with the exception of Tron. Because they just go, oh, the CG is really ropey. And I go, well, that's because it's a man moving a model that's made of wire, just literally frame by frame, you know. Uh, that's for, interesting. For hundreds yeah. of hours. I um, think it's... Sorry. No, no, no. I, was, I, was, I did I was not done. mean to cut you off. I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um was just a bookmark. It was <laughs> in, in case I think of something intelligent to say after that. But then I didn't. Okay. I, like, I like that. The um was a bookmark. I might have to steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> so i think as well with practical effects it also then also bleh, it also gives the actors like something to look at <laughs> that mm. isn't just like mm. a, a green ball on a stick <laughs> or a, <laughs> a, a, a sometimes a shiny ball on a stick but it actually gives you something to perform with and react to so you also just get like a a better performance, better performance from yeah. actors because like don't get me more present not, performance yeah i'm not saying that like actors are bad and they can't act without but it definitely changes it yeah, um, yeah. i mean there's a and, difference between something being there and not it's just you can't it's, yeah it's you, have physics, to, like, you have to do a lot more acting yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. which can take away can take away from like them portraying emotion and and reacting to things if they're having to focus on trying to notice where something is and how it would move when it's not actually doing that and then which then also as the layers like if then special effects go in after and it doesn't quite move the way that the actor was thinking it it moves mm, yeah like it can yeah. be really subtle and it's like not you, it's not necessarily that you obviously notice it, but those like subtle things just you just make such up on a it. difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when last year when we did our uh, end of year best of best stories of uh, uh, of the year um, or our favorite stories or uh, whatever word we're using instead of favorite, but when we did that episode, and uh, I think the surprise that I mentioned was Top Gun Maverick, 
which I, I think was one of the best films last year. I, I think that was amazing. And part of the reason that was amazing is um, just the, the practical effects. Like you're, you, they're actually in the planes and they're doing it. And you just, there's a, just a different feeling. And I was watching that film. I just, I felt like I'm in those planes with them and I'm, I'm, I'm ducking, I'm diving as they're, as they're making the maneuvers. And it's just something different versus if that had been CG, I'm like, ah, no, nah, CG. I mean, it looks cool, but I'm not really feeling the same way. So I just, I always appreciate when people, uh, when filmmakers like make that effort, because it is easy to sort of lean too heavily on, um, cg and when you do it too much it, it just yeah different experience so yeah thumbs up two thumbs up even two real very real practical thumbs up um <laughs> for that so yeah we'll do characters and themes and um as we as we like to do we've talked about a number of the uh of the characters i will i mean it's always interesting to know kind of what people or who people related to maybe in a D sense like what characters felt were done particularly well. Uh, I'll just go to, I mentioned Simon before, because I felt that his journey, when I talked about like relatability, like I kind of like understood that, that kind of getting your ability, like being able to do his magic in his case, but that could apply to any kind of creative endeavor, sort of journey of the self-employed. Like, can I really do this thing? I don't know. <laughs> and, and having to get that inner confidence. And I like that. I, I appreciated seeing that and like that he got his his confidence in the end i don't know if there was any particular character that people resonated with or felt that was done particularly well in a DD sense not to be that person that relates most to the main character <laughs> <laughs> but um it's a very a very specific point with with edgar in that that I related to and it was the bit where he's talking about mistakes and it's like oh me no I've made the most mistakes mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that particular point that I was like yeah no I, I'm relating so hard <laughs> yeah I don't mean I really don't mean to <laughs> relate to like, but no no you, you know what I I had moments with him as well because so because he, he was like the leader so his job's to he had the plan. I'm the guy that makes the plan. What happens when the plan fails? I make a new plan. You make plans that fails? No, 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 wait, wait. So that was also a funny <laughs> moment. But so he makes the plan and then he he reacts mm -hmm. to things and he uh, and adapts and like that. But he also fails. And there's that moment where everyone kind of gives up or is, is in the process of giving up. And he has to like rally them. And he has this speech about failing and, and pushing through. And there's a lot of times like we brought this up yeah, in previous podcasts and when I do talks at schools I like to pull out things from from films as like messages and and relate those to real life and so I was, I'm just a habit of doing this now and and that's like an entrepreneurial journey of like just ah oh, it's failing again and because at that point he's because he's not been fully truthful with, with Simon and then he finds out and then this whole thing so people are giving up on him he's like ah no just one more time we can we can do this it's, it's okay that we fail we can we can try and try again and I also related to that. So I also related to the, the main character in this story. I feel like I am a mix of Simon and Holger. Like, I really do struggle with like self-confidence. So all the way through, I'm like, oh, please, just just love yourself. Please, you, you deserve <laughs> it. And like watching him basically fight with himself to be able to believe in himself. It's like when you do like some self-affirmations in the mirror 
yeah, really was it was kind of cute seeing that, but I did feel very, very sorry for him and then therefore myself a little bit. But seeing Holger as well on the opposite scale, like she just does not care about anything or anyone and she just gets on with stuff and she just is so kind. But I think people maybe perceive her differently um because of the barbarian side of her and she gets very angry very quickly and is like ready mm. to smash heads and ask questions later but i feel like <laughs> they were just perfect um i just i love them so much and i really connected with those two yeah i thought holger was was a fantastic character and i'm always there for michelle rodriguez he's just a brilliant yes. actor for that kind of mm. role she's so good at it and she just brings it, and the character again. You feel there's depths in there. It's a very D and D like portrayal. I I didn't feel. I mean, I, I'm down on bards. I'm I've never quite got the bard as a D and D character. I don't think they kind of make any sense. Like anything in D and D really makes any sense. But bards, <laughs> you know, wandering mute minstrels, are supposedly these really powerful kind of. No, not for me. But the barbarian <laughs> type, bang, straight in there. The other one I really enjoyed because I could see exactly how that would fit into a D&D campaign as, you know, my brother's in town, can he sit in this session for just for just this evening, is Zenk the Paladin. I was going <laughs> to... I was going to bring him up. He's a great comedy character. I mean, he's, he's a walking brilliant. deus ex machina. He comes in and yeah, solves yeah. problems <laughs> for them and gets them out of a fix. And also, he had the he's best quotes. Um, he's very, very funny. Uh, and yeah, and oh. then he walks off in a straight line. <laughs> straight line. Uh, so he's like, he's either someone's brother or he's a computer generated NPC who's just been told, walk east, walk east until you disappear. They keep going. Um, Apparently, that was improvised. Yeah. So they they had that and they they like we didn't know what he was going to do with it so we just let him roll and he just continued walking walking straight yeah he couldn't actually hear like so he didn't know when the scene was finished so he basically just kept on walking and if you keep watching the end of that scene you can see a tiny dot of him still in the distance he just carries on forever (laughs) that's that's brilliant it's too good. Uh, and he had this he had two quotes and one of them I forgot I'm trying to find it but he had that um, irony is the blade that cuts he who wounds it most yeah. especially and- I'm going with he's an NPC because like he doesn't get irony he doesn't no, get like, he does not get any of like oh. language nuances there's another quote but, but he had I'm going to try and find it paladins have no sense of humour they're like Judge Dredd <laughs> you know <laughs> you know heavily heavily armoured utterly lethal utterly on the you know the force of law above all else and and mm. you know and then wander off in a straight line <laughs> yeah. oh, it's been, it yeah, brilliant it was, he was great nigel was the quote by any chance the the um mirrored sentence that edgin called him out on he was like just because it's mirrored it doesn't make it make sense <laughs> okay there were a few quotes so there's, there's one in particular i'm trying to remember <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find it before the end. I don't know why I didn't write this down because it was, it was uh, that is, I'm using that in life kind of, <laughs> kind of quote. Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, we'll see if we can get that uh, before the end. But yeah, just the, the player characters, the apparently the NPC characters, I feel it was just a good, good band of, of characters. And there's a special shout out to um, Bradley Cooper. Mm. I was going to say Bradley Williams for oh, some yeah. reason, but... Yeah, he's got a thing of playing like, you know, small, <laughs> half-size characters. <laughs> um, speaking of CG, that uh, do apply a lot of um, computer graphics. So, yeah, I was surprised to see him. 
uh, I will say. But yeah, that was a moment. It was an mo- emotional moment as well because it kind of tied to um, Holger's um, backstory too. I liked that uh, she was really into short kings. I feel like it was some good representation. I loved that. It's the one at the end and she's just like, hi. She has a type. I'm like, yes, Holgo. And the fact that Holgo just keeps going, just use magic. (laughs) Fix it with magic. So much. Oh man, it just yeah, it just like everyone was a delight in that. Um, well, apart from the the red wizard, he was no. a piece of work. But everyone else was was a delight. Um, was it the red? Yeah, red wizard, right? That's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yes, themes. I like as we do on the podcast. I like to pull out themes from stories, things that might. I feel any good story has some kind of theme, some kind of maybe message uh, at the end. Well, because it's a high story, we do get that sort of common theme where it's like a, a ragtag group and the idea of found family. So characters coming together for a common cause and they bond over that. So we see that with Edgin and, and Holgar, even like Simon, because Simon and, and Doric uh, have a thing. <laughs> well, it's not a thing until at the end and it, it might be a thing. Well, so that characters coming together i do like that i also we talked about the idea of like pushing through failure and edgin just embodying that just continuing to persevere because he he in himself is not necessarily that special like he doesn't necessarily have that he's not the best at anything except making plans that failed and making new plans but he's just he's just that that keep going and that, that is such a as i said already the entrepreneurial journeys like a lot of times like with young people in, in workshops i just see this the most where sometimes they think they have to be the best at something and if they're not the best they can't do this so it's just it's just not like that it's just sometimes you just have to fail enough that you succeed and that's something i have to remind myself um, of as well um and then part of that is like the whole luck and creativity which kind of fits in with the high story fits in with the dnd formula uh, as well, characters having to think on their feet and just rely on sometimes just things going your way, like the roll of the dice going your way to get through. And then it's in the title, this idea of honor. So these characters start out as just like thieves, very, I guess, personal, selfish reasons. But then you have that moment at the end when they they basically escape. They 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 get the daughter, they get Kira, they're, they're off, and they see what the Red Wizard is up to and they're like, ah. We have to go back. We have to do the, the honourable thing. So they get to that point. And then when Edgin does give up his original goal for to bring back um, Holger, it's like that, the idea of honour. So I don't know, for uh, for you all, was there a theme that resonated with you personally? Yeah, for me, it was fundamentally, D&D is really good. If you've not played it, you should go and play some D&D yeah. and, and, and try it because it's really fun. But getting beyond that, I mean, you mentioned failure, and this is something that's really important in game design, that failure is not the end of the process. Failure is an integral part of the process. You are going Mm. to fail. You have to learn how to get past that and have to work with it and how to use it to your advantage. But also the the group thing as as well, the found family, that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts when a D&D party or when a team of game developers... And this is true of the workshops that we do. We put a bunch of students together who have usually met that morning. And we say, okay, you have one hour to not only come up with an idea for a board game, but build it as well. And they look just 
that deer in the headlights stark panic, and then they do it. And they do it because they learn how to use their different skills and their different abilities and their different levels of experience and work together. And it's a really important lesson. And I think the, the movie pulls through with, with that. It's a really uh, you know, solid piece of storytelling. 100%. I think I agree with uh, what you were saying as well, Nigel, like the teamwork and perseverance kind of elements of it. Like, And again, like what you were saying, like, okay, this is scary, but you're actually going to get through this together. If you all work together, you've all got, like you said, like different elements to bring to the table. Like every part of the D&D party is bringing something different, whether it's magic or strength. Um, you're all coming together to use your strengths to get through this really difficult time. The fan family was really, really cute. And just like, how they all came back together even though like a lot of them at the beginning didn't like each other anymore because of what had happened um because they all got in trouble or turned into statues put in prison etc like being able to like i guess be loyal to your friends and like come back even though it didn't go to plan the first time and mm. and just knowing that actually they're all here for each other it's just yeah it's a really really nice wholesome thing to take away i agree with all that's been said above <laughs> <laughs> that there's also like another subtle theme slash takeaway that I got from it which was about like just sometimes you've just got to let go mm. and so there was like a scene with the dragon well there was a the whole thing with like his wife and like is it Zank that says like there's a there's a life after this one or something and you don't want to, you really want to take her away from her new life to come back to her uh, old life. Mm -hmm. And then there's a moment where he's having a flashback with a dragonfly and they're both like hiding under, oh, it's so cute. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> they're hiding under the blanket and they're like, you're like, they're both saying that each other is scared and then they're like, okay, let's go get, uh, and then you find out it's a dragonfly. I'm like, I thought it was going to at least be a spider. <laughs> but anyway, and um, Edgar's trying to catch it and then his wife just opens the, the window and it's like, sometimes you just, because they're trying to catch it, you just got to let it go. And then again, that was kind of like, then also sort of like touched on again with Simon and like his magic and to actually level up he just had to like let go of his sort of like self-doubt yeah or just punch someone in the face or just punch someone in the face <laughs> <laughs> just let go <laughs> let go of uh, everything that's holding you back yeah so i think that theme really stuck with me and i feel like it was just like a little more in the the background uh no that that makes sense i, I do feel that like the idea of uh, letting go. I mean, is because that's he has to do that at the end, right? Is to let go of what he was after to let the uh, new stuff in. So that works. That definitely works. Um, all right. So there's a bunch of things that um, other things that we could have talked about. Is there anything in particular that you wanted to mention that we haven't maybe covered? I, I do want to give a shout. I don't want to end this episode without giving a shout to the portal gun in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, and, sorry, I <laughs> yeah. mean, I mean, the what was the spell? I forgot what the spell was. It's the portal gun. It's the portal gun. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I was very pleased, very pleased to see that uh, in the film and the way they they used it uh, as well was cool. Oh yeah, I, I like that bit, especially when they're trying to actually pull like the. I, I think for me, as like the biggest heist part when they're trying to get in uh, the painting into the building, into so the they're vault. having to like yeah. put the 
portal onto a painting and then like swing underneath the cart that's going past without being noticed and then like holger is trying to like (laughs) hold his legs i can't imagine how funny that must have been to try and film that i'm so glad you brought that bit up because that made me laugh so much (laughs) it was so good I'm just I'm gonna go with a very personal moment, which is the moment that the druid the druid wild shapes into an owlbear and jumps on, on horseback and stuff because my youngest daughter, who at the time was twelve, main DD character, is a tiefling druid, like the one in the in the movie. And Why? looking at her face during that scene, she was just she was completely oh. wrapped. I've not seen her as drawn into a movie moment as that because That's it was like cool. that was her up on screen and she was so into it. I'm so touched. <laughs> so sweet. There's there's not many moments of being a dad and having good gaming moments with the kids because they're young and they're dexterous and they're you know, they want to play video games and they're a lot better at them than I am, which is really annoying. <laughs> but yeah, one one takes these moments where we when one can. No, I like. I did like. Um, we we, t- we talked about Jonathan and just that that moment. That was a nice, um, unexpected moment for me. I did also. I did like. I like the graveyard scene with because mm. I felt that joke. I felt that joke worked. <laughs> it was a bit. Yeah. It, was, it was very silly, um, but I I felt it worked. It was just that was a solid joke. Um, I like that. Uh, and I found myself it, it laughing. It sings along. It's the comedy in that. It's really fast paced. It, it's yeah. and, and you could really feel the audience getting into it. it yeah, I don't. If if I was taking one clip from the movie to show people to encourage people to go and see it, it would probably be that. <laughs> oh, for sure. I love, I love that. Um, then when uh, what's his face, Hugh Grant's character <laughs> tries to do it and they blocked it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> oh, this is like the icing on top for me. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think in terms of like I touched on this before about like the whole box office and whether we'll see this again because it it apparently underperformed at the box office. I mean, I guess it wasn't helped because it was released at the same time as like the Mario movie and John Wick as well, and that's that's tough because <laughs> Mario, who's not going to see Mario? I mean, that that took all the money, and then mm-hmm. John Wick again. Uh, the nicest guy in Hollywood who's not going to see that well actually I didn't see that because I haven't seen all the previous ones but um, I would have <laughs> had I seen them so that was tough and then you've yeah, got like yeah. a and d film in the middle of that so but I guess you don't always get the control over when things are released exactly but yeah no, as, as you said they'd hold it they'd already held it back for the best part back, of two yeah, exactly. years they had to release it and it was always going to yeah. come up against against something but with John Wick, that's a kind of a grown-up film, so you go and see that. And the, if you've got kids, all the kids on their own, yeah. you'll go and see the you Mario movie. Mario. Yeah. And it kind of felt fell in between that. So it was just it was always going to be the, somebody's second choice. Mm. And mm, so time, times are tight, and cinema t- tickets are expensive these days. So I suspect it'll do really well on streaming. Yeah, I can I can see that. And I was just going to say actually, that is the just the general cinema landscape is like you're not only fighting against other films, you're fighting against. Ah, oh, wait till it comes out on streaming, and mm. that's a that's a tough battle. I mean, I say that as I have probably said that uh, phrase myself um, as well. So, but that's just where yeah where we are. But I'll end with this: is I mean, do you want to see more? Do you want to see like another 
adventure set in this? Do you want to see a Dungeons and Dragons cinematic universe? Everything has to be a cinematic universe oh. now. Like, do you want to see more of this? How would you like to uh, see a sequel or a different film? Sequels always scare me. Um, anything that comes next after something I enjoy always scares me because it has the, <laughs> I guess, as everything does, like the, yeah, it has the opportunity to, I guess, deflate things. But um, I feel like it would be cool instead of, you know, they've done this one story and D&D is, like Jim said earlier, like such a huge thing. You can literally do anything and beat anyone. Just to do something, a totally different storyline different characters but still set in that world so again like it's really easy to understand but just maybe doing something a little different so it's not just a copy and paste mm, i think the fun thing as well because it is dnd based like you can have you don't have to reference the old characters yes it can be set in yeah. the same place but everything is completely different you can oh, even have the same actors and they're just a completely different character it's a bright mm. exactly it's a brand new game it's just mm. set in the same place because it's D. &D. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i, I mean, think that would be really fun and especially if it plays on that aspect yeah i think a, a D, D audience a gamer audience would be absolutely fine with that i think the problem is the cinema audience might be going where are the people that we liked in the last one it's like yeah. that moment mm. that if you've the second final fantasy game that you play and you're going this isn't even the same world <laughs> yeah, as the last one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, where, where's Cloud Did I miss Strife? Something? I want to play Cloud <laughs> Strife again. Yeah. So that kind of sense, once you get past that sense of disconnect, I think it's fine. But The Forgotten Realms is a really well-realized setting. And as we were saying earlier, Baldur's Gate exists within that, that world. They've got mm -hmm. Sword Coast. You've got so much that has resonance with a large number of people out there coming in from video gaming as well as tabletop gaming. I think you could do really well with with that. And I would love to see more. There's some rumors that there might be a TV series as as, as well. I'm just, I'm okay. so invested in D&D. I don't play it much these days, but it was a, a really important part of my youth to the extent, and I don't know if you know this, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I'm in the 1987 Guinness Book of World Records for playing Dungeons and Dragons, actually advanced Dungeons oh, wow. and Dragons, for 84 hours nonstop. That's uh, impressive. You have with, not mentioned with that. With a group of friends. <laughs> and, that's, and you can tell an awful lot about the, the company you're with by reeling out that fact and seeing if they go, oh, wow, or if they recoil slightly. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so it's a really important part of, of, of kind of the, the stuff that's made me who I am, and I feel very invested in it. I really want it to do well, which mm. means I want other people to watch it and enjoy it and get some of the things I love out of it as, as well. And I think whichever direction they go with it, this is a pretty good foundation stone. It, yes, it underperformed. It was a tricky time for the movie box office, but it still took $200 million. That's, mm. To say something underperformed, it only took $200 to 200, million. Yeah. Is, and that's kind of how insane these things are these days. I know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a weird world. Once you get into like the financial side of the how and why films are made, then it's like, oh, okay, this doesn't, always make sense or at least common sense anyway but i yeah i i mean i get a sense that i, f I feel they could do another one of these it, it feels like it's it could be the beginning of something and hopefully it doesn't uh end. I, and i feel the general popularity of of dnd i mean we've got one more stranger things season to go right so yeah it's going to come back around and someone's going to go hey we should capitalize on this so i feel <laughs> it's going to be another one but um what do i know um 
just a guy who makes comics. So that is our discussion on Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Let us know what you think. If you had a favorite moment, favorite character, theme that particularly resonated with you, uh, as always, you can give us your feedback on this stories episode of Studio 77 Discord or Studio 77 at MayaMatter.com. Before we wrap, uh, let's get into this week's storytelling tip. Each time we do a deep dive on a podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. So this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or the mistakes of others. And for this tip, I wanted to come to the idea of the reactive protagonist. So I've previously spoken about the idea of the protagonist needing to be proactive um, in episode uh, 39, way back when we were doing uh, only double digit numbers, uh, when I spoke about Alita, Battle Angel, and episode 89 about Spider-Man No Way Home. So both of those discussions uh, revolved around the idea of ensuring your protagonist is actively going after their goal as opposed to passively reacting around reacting to things around them but no rule is carved in stone and different stories work in different ways so i wanted to come back to the idea with another variation of that archetype so in storytelling you have the protagonist who is the driving force of the narrative and they take the audience through the events of the plot and traditionally the protagonist comes with the proactivity and agency and is able to take control of their destiny or at least as best uh, as they can within the story and Passive protagonists are usually something to steer away from. However, the concept of reactive protagonists does challenge this norm by presenting a character who does adapt to the events and the challenges presented by the story's world and may or may not have an overarching goal or driving ambition. So reactive is different than passive. So while passive protagonists are merely enduring circumstances without any significant growth or engagement, Reactive protagonists do go through some noticeable transformation as they navigate the story's twists and turns. In Dungeons & Dragons, we have Edgin, who is a protagonist and very much reactive in this world. He does have a goal. He wants to bring back his wife. But at least the early part of the story does seem just reacting to events um, that look to throw his plan off course. And throughout the film, we see our, all our characters reacting to events around them and they make decisions and shift plans and things change and the unexpected happen along the way. So that's normal and that's something you want to work for in your story. The problem can come when protagonists don't act or do anything unless outside forces act upon them first. Um, but that's certainly not what we have here. Just something to consider uh, as you make um, your story. Um, and the heist format works well. So we talked about that already, um, as does the D&D context, which itself is all about reacting in the moment when plans go wrong or you just want to make stuff up uh, along the way. And it all makes sense. So what's great about this story is that while the protagonist is reactive on the journey, he has already established his goal very early on. So we, the audience, never feel completely like his, um, his journey is an aimless one. Um, he also changes along the way, so to a point where he does actually abandon his original goal of bringing back his wife in favour of resurrecting Holger, who he realises has become like a mother figure to Kira. So it's crucial to differentiate the difference between a reactive protagonist and a passive one. So a passive protagonist tends to lack the urgency and emotional investment in their journey and can leave audiences disconnected from their arc. On the other hand, a reactive protagonist is an active participant in their own story 
and while still responding to external uh, events in ways that hopefully evoke some kind of empathy in their journey. Um, so there's a few examples. I mean, there's a bunch of examples from different media. One of the ones that I really like is uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. So it's a whole journey where Aang is largely re reactive to a wider thing that's happening around him. He's always responding to this war-torn world and his destiny as the Avatar. Uh, for anyone who's played the video game Life is Strange, you play a character, Max Caulfield, who's a photography student who discovers she has the power to rewind time. And her story revolves around her reactions to the consequences of her uh, abilities. So you're making cho choices that affect the narrative and her character arc is influenced by how she navigates those. So yeah, those are a couple of examples that illustrates different directions you can go with reactive protagonists and how their response to the world around them drives their narrative. So here are a few tips to consider when making use of reactive protagonists in your story. So number one, you wanna keep the reaction relatable. So I mentioned it earlier, there's a very human humanness, which is a word I'm gonna keep using for now. In their stories, we understood the reactions or what they were motivated by as they went through their responses to these unpredictable situations. So we can, we can appreciate it in our lives as well. Number two is create a transformative character arc so that all that reaction uh, can lead to actual character growth and self-discovery. And we saw that with Edgin in the story along his journey, like he changes along the way. And number three, you can use that reaction to enhance your world building so that reactive protagonists can offer a window into the story's wider world and enriched narrative. And we definitely saw that as they were making their journey from place to place uh, in this story. So those are a few things to think about if you're making use of reactive protagonists in your story. Um, that was the tip for this week. Before we completely end this episode, let's wrap it. Let's check in with our guests. We'd love to get some information about what projects both of you are up to any news, interesting projects, and also where people can find you. Uh, so Billy, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, so upcoming in literally like no week's time, it's gone so quickly. Um, so I'll be with Session Zero at Insomnia. We'll be performing live stage D&D &D improv. Um, if you've never done D&D &D before, this is a really good gateway drug <laughs> into Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I highly recommend. Other than that, I am just trying to get my way through Baldur's Gate 3 at the moment. I am addicted to this game and this is what all of my content is on Twitch right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Assassin's uh, Zero is amazing. <laughs> Which day are you, are you doing? Uh, we, oh, good question. I think it's Saturday <laughs> at 12.30. Okay. James, what about you? Any latest projects or uh, any interesting news you'd like to let us know about? Uh, I am currently designing a couple of role-playing games, uh, which may never come out. They're just kind of, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm about to play test them and see if there's any life in them. Um, my most recent book is called Everybody Wins. It's about the rise of modern board games over the last four decades uh, or so. That came out just before Christmas, and it's still in shops and online, and uh, people seem to really like it. 
I'm part of a podcast. Uh, I'm a middle-aged white man. Of course, I'm part of a podcast. <laughs> Uh, it's called Ludo Narrative Dissidents, and it's uh, for role-playing nerds. Essentially, each episode we deep dive on one particular role-playing system, take it apart to see how it works from a design perspective, why people play it, how they play it, why they play it that way. And it's myself and Ross Payton and Greg Stolze who are also role-playing game designers professionally, and uh, so we know what we're talking about. And again, people seem to to really like that as well. And That's also the- middle-aged white men. Uh, is that like also, a pack? I'm afraid, is, <laughs> is that a pack yes. you get in as as part of the initiation? Uh, just it's, a podcast. It's weird. You pass a certain <laughs> birthday, and this letter arrives, and, and just... uh, yeah, there's there's a Discord invitation, and you just <laughs> go from there. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 basically what I'm what I'm up to, and what I'm what I'm doing at the moment, and a couple of secret projects I can't can't talk about. Ooh. Awesome. We'll we'll include any relevant links in the show notes. But thank you both so much for joining us for this discussion. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> yeah, this has been great. Really fun. No, always uh, happy to have people come and come back as well. That is the the business model of the podcast. <laughs> uh, just get people uh, back on again. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode of Story X Story, do make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and you can also go back and listen to the other discussions we've had with billy and james on the podcast and while you're doing that you can give us a five-star rating and review because that helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions you can also share direct links that is good too so we talk about stories because we are story creators and you can discover our manga universe online all our titles are there including the latest series through the fog uh, and uh, soon to be uh, Tazzy's story as we continue working through uh, all these ideas that we've got stored on Notion somewhere. And you can also join the Studio 77 Discord and chat with us there. We have a membership that is in the works where you can get access to our video content as it disappears off Twitch, digital illustration content, and uh, special access to events uh, as well. And we're doing a number of events as part of our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign, which is live. It's now a yearly initiative for diversity and inclusion in the video games industry and culture. We've done a bunch of events and we have a bunch more before the year's out. I'm noticing there's only four months of the year left. It's scary. Let me not think about that. Let me keep going. But we're going to be at Comic-Con. Um, we've got some events coming. You can check out looklikeagamer.com to see the photos of the 40 and where we're going to be next. Um, as for the podcast, we release new episodes on Thursdays and they include creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. Um, as always, you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is studio77 at myamanda.com. And our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, Until next time, stay safe. And remember, all of my ums are just bookmarks because I'm about to say something brilliant. Uh, I got nothing now, but take care. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 